Bienvenidos Iglesia, welcome church. My name is Adam and I'm one of the pastors here at First Christian. And it is so good to be gathered together today. Whether we're in the room together or you're watching online, we are so glad that you're with us today. And even though it doesn't feel like it this morning, spring is on its way, amen. Oh, it's gonna be so good. I think it's like 25 right now, so it doesn't feel like it yet, but spring is coming and spring brings with it Easter. And we're so excited for, FC, for Easter around here at FCC because we believe that God has a powerful message of hope and life change for our community. And we want as many people to experience it as possible. And I can promise you um, that you're not going to want to miss this moment. We hope that you're planning on joining us and we hope you're already praying for who you're going to invite to join and so as you're making those plans this morning, we wanted to pause at the beginning of the service to kind of give you some details for what Easter is going to look like this year. It'll look a little bit different than it has in the past, and you're going to hear more in the coming weeks, but today I just kind of want to give you a quick overview. So we're going to have five different services this year. There are going to be two on Saturday afternoon, then there will be three on Sunday, and throughout the weekend there are going to be video venues and outdoor options. And we're also going to be offering worship opportunities for our FCC kids, so our early childhood and elementary ministries will have worship experiences as well. And as you can tell, if, you, if, if you've seen this space um, since it's been renovated, um, we can't fit as many people in this space um, during COVID as, we were able, as we've been able to in the past. And so if you're someone uh, who wants to make as much room as possible for people to hear this good news this Easter, we have a couple of ideas for you. So the first is to consider registering for the outdoor services, the video venues, or our Saturday service times. And as you're registering, we encourage you to register early um, at fcc-jc.org slash Easter. And this will help us know if we need to open more venues, add service times, and things like that. And this will even help with FCC Kids. We will be having uh, reservations for FCC Kids, and your early registration will help us plan so that we don't have to turn any family away on Easter. And we're excited because we believe that God has good news for our community, and we want as many people to experience it as possible. And I've also, I've got to start our time together today before we dive into our, our service by just saying thank you to the community here at FCC. See, part of my job here at First Christian is working with our middle and high school students. And every January, we take our students on a trip called, to Gatlinburg called the Tennessee Christian Teen Convention. Maybe you've heard us talk about it before as TCTC. And this is an, a super important moment in our ministry year. It's the primary connecting point or reconnecting point after the Christmas break. It's an awesome opportunity that kids easily invite their friends to. This thing is huge. In fact, in our worlds, we refer to this thing as our kind of Christmas Eve, Easter level event. And obviously, you probably know from the news uh, that COVID numbers this year in January were not awesome which meant that we couldn't make the trip to Gatlinburg like we normally do. And so we were bummed about that, but we put our heads together and we just said, you know what, this experience is too important for us to admit. And so we started reimagining that experience and it happened this past weekend. Actually, I have a couple of pictures I wanna show you. 
So this past weekend, we had our own version of TCTC right here in this room, and it was awesome. We had over 70 people join us in this room for this experience for the weekend on Friday night and Saturday night. We had so much fun together, and that was the most people we had had together for an event since exactly one year before last weekend. And so it was huge. It was this powerful moment. And because of your generosity and because that enabled the renovation of this space, we were able to do that because we could not have done that experience without this. And so thank you for being an integral part of that. Thank you for your generosity. And that generosity is a concrete reminder for me this week that the church is God's plan A. That's what we're talking about in this series right now. We're currently in the series where we're following the story of the church through the fifth book of the New Testament called Acts. And it's the story of how the church went from a small group of Jesus followers to an empire-wide movement. And it's a story of God doing amazing things through people who responded in obedience to God. And these amazing things happened through the church because the church was God's plan A. They were God's plan to grow God's kingdom in the world. And time and again throughout this story, we found that God's plan A to meet the needs of the world is the church. God's gathered people. And we've been tracking this story through the book of Acts, and we've seen that the church was God's plan A in the beginning, and we've shared wonderful stories about how the church has continued to be God's plan A throughout history. And it seems like God doesn't have a plan B. God's plan is the church. That's it. The church is God's only plan to care for the hurting and overlooked. The church is God's only plan to heal racial divisions. The church is God's plan for real community and for feeding the hungry. The church is God's plan A, and God has no plan B. And this series has been a powerful reminder for me of the ways that God is at work in and through the church. And it's given me a renewed perspective, and it's been challenging to me. Because think about it. We, we live in a world where everyone is convinced that their group has the answer for everything, that their group is the one who knows everything there is to know about public policy or social service or from economics to education. But this series has been a reminder to me that God is up to something big, and the church is at the very center of that plan. And this week, we're going to continue in this series by looking at one of the most complicated things in life. It's one of the biggest things in life, and it can be tricky and stressful. And it's good news that God's, the church is God's plan A because this thing is just big. It can, it can be almost as polarizing as politics in some circles, and everyone seems to have an opinion, especially people who've never experienced this thing. And on top of all of those layers, social media has made this thing that much more stressful. I mean, you could fill libraries full of books and you could even commit to reading every single one of those books that had ever been written. And you still wouldn't know how to act when you find yourself in a specific situation. And everyone acts like they've got this thing figured out, but no one really has it figured out, at least in some kind of universal one-size-fits-all kind of way. This thing that we're talking about this week, it draws out the best and the worst in us, sometimes at the exact same time. And few things have the power to keep us up at night the way this thing does. And this week, 
we're going to see that the church is God's plan A for raising kids. Now, just to, just to be clear, I didn't say the church is God's plan A for parenting. Now, that's obviously, that's also true, but this is a much bigger conversation than just parenting. See, because all of us, like Nathan said, all of us, whether we're 18 or we're 80, whether we've never had kids or whether we've already raised kids, whether we love engaging kids or we have no idea how to talk to kids, all of us have a part to play in raising kids and passing along a legacy of faith. The church is God's plan A for raising kids. The church is God's parenting strategy. Because God knows what so many of us in this room know. We know that the next generation is going to be influenced by someone or something. And God wants that thing to be the church. Families are meant to partner with the church. And the church is meant to partner with families. And when we're at our best, there's this reciprocal relationship between parents and the larger worship community. Parents should seek out the church as they navigate their parenting journey, and, the, and they should find a church that's loving, that's generous, that surrounds them with love, care, and support as they navigate the highs and lows and the storms and stresses and uncertainties of raising kids. And we see this from the very beginning of the church. This week, we pick up the story of Acts just after a meeting of church leaders in Jerusalem. They've wrestled with some of the issues that have come up as the church expanded from a small group to, a, Rome, to an, 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 a movement all across the Roman Empire. And this group of leaders, they have worked together to, to draft a letter. And the leaders of this church are going to take this letter back to churches. And so Paul, a guy that we've talked about a little bit in this series, an early church planter, a great leader in the church, Paul takes that letter and revisits some of the churches that have already been planted. And along the way, we find this in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Paul reached Derbe and then Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy. He was the son of a believing Jewish woman and a Greek father. The brothers and sisters in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Now, this, this section of the, of the book of Acts is really awesome, and it's exciting, and there's a lot of travel, and there's a lot of things happening. And as all of that's happening, it can be easy to miss this moment. But this is the moment we want to focus in on today. Because in this moment, Paul meets Timothy, and Timothy will go with Paul on his journey, and they're going to develop a close relationship. They're going to become like Batman and Robin. They're going to become like Doc Brown and Marty McFly. They are going to create an awesome relationship. But all of that starts right here in this moment in the book of Acts. See, before all of that stuff happens, in this moment, we see what started this journey. See, Timothy was in this moment because of the family and the community that had surrounded him. He was there because of the parent, as his parent who passed on their faith, and he's there because of the community that knew him well enough to speak well of him so they could recommend him to Paul. And Timothy was set up to play an integral part in the expansion of the church because of his family and the faith community that rallied around him. He's in this moment because the church had partnered with the family in the work of raising the next generation. And I can tell you 
for, this is our hope as our family team here at First Christian. I can speak for all of us who work with birth through high school aged kids. And our entire goal is to send kids out after they graduate from high school as people who love God, who love everyone, who make disciples and who share their story. And the perfect formula is right here in the book of Acts for how to do that. Um, we know more about Timothy because this isn't the only place that we meet Timothy in the scripture. It's not, he's not one of these people that we meet in one line and go on. In fact, actually, there are a couple of letters later in the Bible named after Timothy. And it's in those letters that we learn just how large of a role that the church and family working together played in Timothy's story. So these two letters are from Paul to Timothy, and they're Paul's way of encouraging and instructing and reminding Timothy of that he has what it takes to lead the church. He can face the leadership challenges he's facing because of the people who've invested in him. In 1 Timothy 1.18, in the early part of his first letter, Paul says this, he says, Timothy, my child, I'm giving you these instructions based on the prophecies that were once made about you. So if you follow them, you can wage a good war. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, he says, remember what was spoken over you by your community. Remember what was called out in you and let those things, let those truths, let those powerful things prepare you for the work that you have ahead of you. And he goes on a little bit later in that same letter, uh, 1 Timothy 4, 14 and 15. He says, don't neglect the spiritual gift in you that was given through prophecy when the elders laid hands on you. Practice these things and live by them so that your progress will be visible to all. And again, Paul's writing to Timothy and he's saying, Timothy, you can face the challenges of the present moment because of where you've come from, because of the things that you've learned from the community that raised you. And then in the second letter to Timothy, Paul gets right to the heart of the matter when he talks about how the faith of Timothy's family and the church work together to prepare Timothy for kingdom work. And I love this passage because you get a glimpse into just how powerful Paul and Timothy's relationship is as well. It says this in 2 Timothy 1. It says, I'm grateful to God whom I serve with a good conscience as my ancestors did. I constantly remember you in my prayers days and nights. Days, day and night. When I remember your tears, I long to see you so that I can be filled with happiness. Man, isn't that a beautiful picture between a mentor and a mentee? He goes on to say, I'm reminded of your authentic faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that faith is also inside of you. Because of this, I'm reminding you to revive God's gift that is in you through the laying on of my hands. God didn't give us a spirit that is timid, but one that is powerful, loving, and self-controlled. See, the church is God's plan A for raising kids. And when we live as if this is true, it has the power to transform the world. See, Timothy benefited from a legacy of faith. And we may not know of him today if it wasn't for the people who invested in him, if it wasn't for the partnership between his family and the faith community. And the same thing can be true of the families right here at FCC if we're willing to embrace the idea that the church is God's plan A for raising kids. And the cool thing about this is that this isn't just some isolated incident. I, have, I didn't have to look really deep into the Bible to find stories. Uh, this is just how the early church and the Jewish community worked. This is just how they set their life up 
together. And I know this because one of the greatest parenting fails in the Bible. Now, some of you out there are parents and you'll get this. And some of you may not get this and you'll think I'm a really awesome person or a really awful person. I love parenting fails. Like watching the videos of like, you know, parents who've messed up or whatever. I love watching these videos and I don't necessarily like them because other people are failing. I like them because they make me feel better as a dad. I see videos of like a parent forgetting to move the dog bowl and the kid drinking out of the dog bowl or shoving peas up their nose. I love seeing these videos because they make me feel just a little bit better when I skimp on the vegetables at dinner and give Jack a little more mac and cheese, or when we're in a new place and I don't want to mess with people's stuff and so I hand him my phone to entertain him, these stories make me feel a little bit better and maybe they do to you when you're looking at them on social media. But there's this hilarious fun story of a parenting fail in the Bible and it comes from Luke chapter two. In Luke chapter two, Jesus is a middle schooler. He's middle school age, he's around the age of 12 and his parents are coming back from the Passover festival in Jerusalem. And we'll, put, we'll pop that up on the screen. It says this in Luke chapter two. It says each year his parents, meaning Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to their custom. And after the festival was over, they were returning home, but the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, like that's the first thing, right? Like this was a big deal for them. This was like them going to like Disneyland or making this like humongous family vacation trip. And think about this, if you were on a family vacation and you were packing up, even if it was with a big group of family members, even if you were with a big group, you would make sure you had your kids, right? He would, yeah. Well, that wasn't true in this story. Um, Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents didn't know it. And this is the point that's so powerful here. They just supposed that he was among their band of travelers. They journeyed on for a full day while looking for him among their family and friends. And so I, I picture this story playing out in a really awesome way. You know, Mary and Joseph are, are walking together on their way home and, and Mary looks over at Joseph because the mom would obviously be the one to notice first that the kid was gone. Uh, Mary looks over at Joseph and she says, Joseph, have you seen Jesus? And Joseph thinks for a minute and he says, you know, I haven't seen him, but he's fine. He's probably hanging out with Aunt Nikki. It's all good. Don't worry about it. And so Mary says, well, okay, that's good enough for me. And they keep going. And a little while later, Mary just can't shake this feeling. And she says, Joseph, where is Jesus? I can't, we can't find him. Like, where is he? And, G and, and Joseph just says in typical dad fashion, like, oh, he's fine. He's probably hanging out with the Galantes. He's all good, right? And it took them a while. It took them three days to find Jesus in the temple. And when they found him, he was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. And now this, this right here, this is how you know that Jesus was the son of God. Because if I was left, in a big city for three days, I would not have gone to church. Let's just be honest. If I was a middle schooler, I would have found the biggest candy store and they would have found me in a sugar coma passed out inside that store. It would have been way more like home alone than a Sunday morning church service. But they find Jesus in the temple and of course they're shocked and his mother says, child, why have you treated us like this? Listen, your father and I have been worried. We've been looking for you. And so I share this story with you because whenever I want you, whenever you feel down about your parenting, when you're, when you're sitting late at night and you're thinking about the decisions you made that day, or maybe even decisions that you made years ago that just popped up in your mind for some reason, I want you to think at least 
you never lost the Son of God. So there you go. Keep that in your back pocket. I, maybe I should write a book like that. At least you never lost the Son of God. That'd be good. Uh, I'm joking, but this, the, the point I make with this story is this, is that everyone in the community had a part to play in raising kids. And Mary and Joseph w wouldn't have had to worry about Jesus because their community was just structured in a way where everyone was looking out for everyone. And everyone was taking care of everyone's kids because they just, had this, they just knew that it was the community's responsibility to raise the next generation. So the church is God's plan A for raising kids. And parents, if you, if you aren't partnering with the church now, I wanna encourage you to do so because you're missing out on a wealth of knowledge, resources, and support. And church, if you aren't partnering with families, you're missing out on a front row seat to some of the cool things that God wants to do in and through the lives of the next generation. And I think in the middle of that too, you'll also miss out on some of the awesome things that God wants to do in your life as well. And so with all this in mind, parents, I want to encourage you to widen the circle. Widen the circle of influence around your child and around your family. Because so many people navigate their parenting journey alone. And I see this all the time when I work with families. I talk to so many families who are, who are battling the storms and stresses of raising kids, and they're doing it alone. And, and the worst part is, is that they feel alone. And I see that, and I take that, and I may even have a conversation with another family about the exact same topic that exact same week, and both of those families feel alone when what they really need is one another to navigate this journey together. And so if you're there this morning, if you're facing a difficult parenting challenge, if you're beating yourself up over something that you've done or haven't done, or I, I want to encourage you that you're not alone, that you have a community that's with you and for you. And I want to encourage you to widen the circle of adults that you're navigating life with and widen the circle of influence surrounding your kids. And there are a couple of practical ways that you can do that. The first one is to bring your child to all church worship with you. So bring your child with you to worship when you come. Our kids and student ministries here at First Christian are some of the best in Johnson City. We have some of the most amazing leaders. We do some of the most fun things, but time and again, studies and stories show that student ministries and kids ministries don't come anywhere close to fostering the same lifelong faith identity that participation in all church worship does. A faith that sticks is a faith that's connected to the larger worship community. And I've found this story true time and again through my experience at First Christian over the past nine years. The, the majority of students who graduate from high school and who have a faith that can navigate all of the disorientation of a new phase of life, those are people who are connected to the larger worship community. And we have the best place to get started coming up in a couple of weeks with Easter. Maybe if, if, you're, if your children don't worship with you yet in worship, maybe Easter is when that could start. And maybe that Sunday could be a benchmark that changes your child's faith development forever. And so register early and continue and join us for Easter. And the second one is this, and this has become an integral part of my wife and I's parenting strategy. And it's this, find five, 
Find five people other than friend, like find family members, friends, kids who are just a little bit farther along than your child, teachers, um, group leaders. Find five people to invest in your child. And this is, isn't just some nice idea. This is a parenting strategy that we have fervently embraced as we've raised Jack. And I've got to tell you that we have been abundantly blessed. He's 18 months old and we've already been abundantly blessed by surrounding him with these people who are investing in him and who will continue to invest in him as he gets older. And the easiest way to find some of those people is through our kids and student ministry programming. I know sometimes life can get crazy and it can get loud and there are all sorts of demands on your schedule, but one of the, at least one of the five people investing in your child should be one of their small group leaders or their class teachers or someone that they're partnering with in service. And that feels like a difficult investment to make sometimes, but I can assure you that that investment is worth it and it'll pay off over time. We have five people, and more than that, when you include family members, we have five people who are investing in Jack's life because we believe that the church is God's plan A for raising kids. And so if you wanna start that journey, maybe you're newer to First Christian and you're like, well, I don't really know how to get started in any of that. One of the best things you can do is show up to our parent-child dedication on uh, Saturday, March 20th. And what you'll find when you come to that parent-child dedication is a whole group of parents, a whole ready-made community right for you in that moment um, who is trying to figure out how to raise the next generation for God's good kingdom work. And so join us for that. On, on Saturday, March 20th, if you've got kids and you're looking for a good next step. And so this next thing is for everyone in the room or everyone who's watching this online, the next thing I wanna encourage us to do, and everyone in here needs to join the circle. And so here's what happened. I just made a pitch to parents to widen their circle, to include more people in their family and, and have more people influencing their kids in church. We need to be the people to stand in the spaces that are opening and you don't have to have kids. So I wanna encourage you, if you tuned out a little bit when I was talking about the parenting story in Luke chapter two, now's the time to come back because you don't have to have kids to help raise the next generation. Because get this, the five people that I mentioned, that we've got these five awesome people who are investing in Jack, not a single one of those people has kids. And, not, and, and none of them are in the exact same phase of life. They're in all different places in their lives, but none of that stops them from loving Jack well. And so whether you're 13 or you're 113, you can be a person who rallies around families and supports kids as they're figuring out who they're going to be and what their lives are going to be about. And so there are some really good places to start. And the first one is this, just, just start praying for kids. Pray for kids that are already in your life. Pray for the kids that you see as you pass them in the halls on Sunday morning. Just, just pause and pray for kids and ask God to create space for you to join a kid's circle. And you, you might be surprised at what you find and who God might cross your paths with when you decide to pray for kids. And this next one is super fun. It might take you a little bit of time to get this one, but this one is so super fun when you get it. The next one I wanna encourage you to do is to slow down and talk to kids that are already in your life. 
So slow down and, and hear their stories, hear what they're excited about, hear what they're loving right now, and I promise you, you will leave that moment filled with joy. And I wanna encourage you to intentionally engage families because those five people that I told you about, one of the things that makes them extraordinary is the fact that as we run through the mess and muck of life and like parenting a toddler, we don't often pause and think, oh, we need to make sure that we hang out with these people or we need to connect with these people. No, those people are so extraordinary because they engage us in the middle of all of this craziness. We'll get a text and say, hey, can we have dinner Friday night? Or hey, can we hang out? Or hey, I just dropped this in the mail for Jack. You can be looking for it. Those people intentionally engage us. And so be people like that. Be proactive people who engage families. And you might be saying, Adam, all of those things are cool. They're great. But I just need more structure than that. I need a predictable thing like a like a schedule or reminders or just like structured times every month where I'm doing this. And if that is true of you, I say, awesome. You should join our family team. You should join our ministries that work with FCC kids and students. And we'd love to take you to lunch. We'd love to hear a little bit about your story and talk to you about how you can partner with our ministries here at First Christian. And a great way to try that out would be Easter services. Again, we have loads of elementary and early childhood services that we're offering over the Easter weekend, and we would love for you to be a part of those. And so you can check that out. You can just stop by the, check, the FCC Kids check-in desk on your way out and leave your name, and we'd be happy to follow up with you. But friends, the church is God's plan A for raising kids. And if you're a parent, know that the church wants to journey with you. And if you aren't a parent, if you don't have kids or you've already raised kids, you still have a responsibility to invest in the next generation. And don't underestimate what can happen in the lives of kids and in the worlds around them when the church and families partner together. Because here's what I know. God has big things in store for the next generation. And maybe the only thing they need to discover that or to have that called out in them is, to, is a family and a church working together. Let me pray for us. God, I am so thankful this morning for the, for the joy that kids are and the joy that they bring and the life that they bring to the spaces that they come into. I thank you for all of the potential and all of the opportunities that come with raising kids, God. And it's, it's such a huge deal. And so I pray this morning, God, that you would impress upon our hearts, that you would motivate us, that you would challenge us to invest in the next generation. God, I pray for parents right now who are navigating the difficult highs and lows and storms and stresses of life. I pray that you would give them peace and that you would surround them with community and love. And I pray for all of us, God, that you would nudge us to invest in the next generation. God, help us figure out how to partner together. We love you, God, and we trust you. And pray for all these things through Jesus.